So we get down there, we're walking around, 5.30 comes, nobody's setting up, nobody's on the stage. There's people gathered all around with chairs. We all start asking each other, did you hear anything about the band? No, we were wondering if you did. Then we'd hear a bagpipe across the street. Somebody's playing bagpipes and a rumor started, maybe that bagpiper's going to lead them across the street and they're all going to... So we all hung out 15, 20, 30 minutes. No band. And you could see all the people start to fold up their chairs and, and slowly head home, kind of bummed out that the band didn't come. We we're all a little bit let down because the promise wasn't kept. Some of you have experienced that more important situations in your life. Someone in a close relationship with you uh, makes a promise and they don't come through and you feel the hurt and the pain of that. What I want to celebrate this morning is that we serve a father in heaven who keeps his word. He doesn't disappoint. He shows up when he says he's going to show up. The book of Galatians, Paul says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, promise kept. He sent a savior to our world. And there's some beautiful and familiar passages that I just love to read with you this morning about that special moment in history. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Luke chapter 2, verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. I read those passages and I love them. But I was thinking about something. Christmas is like the one day a year where we have maybe the largest group gathered around to hear about this Jesus in the course of the year. And I thought, wouldn't it be a shame if we only talked about that snapshot of his life called the birth, that that we know as the birth of Jesus? Because imagine this, imagine you have, say, uh, an Abraham Lincoln convention once a year. And you're fired up about Abraham Lincoln all year long, but this once a year meeting, people come together and you get a chance to tell them what Abraham Lincoln was all about. Would you spend the whole time talking about the details of his birth? Like who was there when it happened and where it was and just leave it there? No, if you had this audience, you'd probably want to be like, I want to tell you about one of the greatest presidents this nation has ever known, how hard he worked to hold our country together 
in the, the most divisive period it's ever known? How hard he worked to abolish slavery? Wouldn't it be a shame if all those people left and you never got to that? You only told them what time he was born and where and who was there? Or what about Michael Jordan? You show up at the once a year Michael Jordan convention. Wouldn't it be a shame if somebody said, yeah, let me tell you about the hospital he was born in and what day and time and what all was going on around that period? No, you would definitely go on to talk about how he changed the game of basketball forever. You talk about two three-peats and championships. You talk about the way he impacted the world. And I thought about Jesus, this, this once-a-year moment where we have more folks gathered than ever before. Wouldn't it be a shame if we zoomed in so far on the birth that we missed the very reason that he came? Jesus said that reason in Luke chapter 19. He said, the Son of Man, talking about himself, came to seek and save what was lost. So what I want to do this morning is take a couple verses out of those birth passages that we just read and show you how they played out later on in his ministry. I want to fast forward because what we see somewhat in the birth passages is kind of like the game plan for his life being here. Why he came, what he was going to do. We see hints of it. But I want to show you part of the game today. Part, part of what happened on the field after the plans were laid in place. Because the Super Bowl is coming up not too long. I, I think, wouldn't it be a shame if, if somehow you could get a hold of the, the game plans of the two teams that are going to be in it, you know, a week or two before, and, and you just read those game plans, and then you're like, I'm good, I never, I don't need them. No, you, you're going to watch the game because you want to see how it plays out, right? It'd be silly just to read the game plan. So the first verse I want to pull out of those birth passages is Matthew 123 and then I want to fast forward to Luke chapter 5 where Jesus is in the heart of his ministry show you what it looks like and what it means for you and I today Matthew 123 said the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us God with us I want to talk about that concept for a minute we may maybe have grown used to it if we've grown up in church, God with us. I want to I paint a big picture of an almighty God who's completely removed from sin and a sinful people and then cause us to marvel a little bit about that little phrase, God with us. And I want you to see it in Jesus' ministry. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. It'll be up here on the screen. After this, Jesus had just healed a paralytic, made him walk, forgave his sins. After that happened, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Before I go on, you need to know a little bit about tax collectors. They were the despised sinners in their society. And I want you to think right now, who are the despised sinners today? (laughs) hasn't changed much huh (laughs) any IRS workers in here nobody's going to raise their hand now All right. Um, yeah you think through that who are those categories that you think man I don't know if they ever even could come to God and even if they could I don't want them to (laughs) that was Matthew he was a Jew yet he worked for the Roman government who was in charge of their little nation at the time often tax collectors stole from their countrymen 
And because of that, they weren't even allowed to go to the temple where the Jews did things to, to connect with God. So you can see he's on the fringe. He's on the outside. Okay? He's unwanted by the religious people of his day. He's the scum of the earth in their eyes. Maybe you felt that kind of glare from religious people in your own life. That kind of response to you. I don't know. That's Levi sitting in his tax booth. Jesus walks by and in two short words says, follow me. You know what it's like to be unwanted for your whole life? For no one to include you in what they do? For everybody to leave you out because of your past, your present? That was Matthew. If you've ever tasted that, that was his life. He didn't get invited to the many parties with his Jewish associates because of what he did. He was left out. Those two words, follow me, that Jesus said to him, must have rocked his world. They must have been like a drink of ice water on a hot day. He hadn't heard that in his life. Follow me, come with me. I want you to be with me. And that's what Jesus says to him. And so if you wonder about the mystery of why would a most likely a wealthy tax collector just get up on the spot and walk, walk away and follow this guy, that may be at the heart of it. This guy wants to pee with me. This Jesus wants me to be with him. He left everything and followed him. God with us. God with a tax collector. God with the scum of the earth according to the religious leaders. Levi was so excited it says he held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees, the religious leaders and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to Jesus' disciples. They don't yet have the courage to take it up with him. They'll get there. They're slowly building up. First they murmur when he heals the paralytic. Now they're talking to his disciples. Like, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors? And just imagine how they said this. Sinners. Why do you eat with them? That question holds the mystery of God with us. Not only does Jesus call Matthew to follow him, Matthew's so excited about this, this one that wants to be with him. He's like, I'm going to round up all my other tax collector buddies and we're going to have a party. And there you see Jesus, the Son of God, and his disciples partying with tax collectors and other people that the religious leaders couldn't stand. And they didn't get it. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? The answer was found in another one of our birth passages, Matthew 1, verse 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The Savior. That's who he is. His name means God is salvation. He came to save his people from their sins. That's why he's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus looked at him in verse 31 and he gave them the same answer. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
See, where the Pharisees looked at people and saw people that were hopelessly condemned with no hope to ever connect with God, Jesus saw sick people in need of a physician. When he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, that's an interesting phrase, because is anybody truly righteous before God? No, Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, the Pharisees thought they were righteous because what they do, they, they looked at the list of things that they kept, and then they looked at tax collectors and said, I'm better, better than them, so I'm good. But God doesn't work that way. God looks and says, you compare yourself to me. <laughs> then we see the real picture, our real need. So no one's righteous, but in order to come to a doctor, you have to admit that you're sick. How many of you wives know that with your husbands? <laughs> You're not feeling good. Something's going on and I'm good. I'm good. And your wife's saying, you need to go to the doctor. I'm good. I'm good. It'll pass. Until we finally, weeks down the road and things progress, we're like, okay, <laughs> I'll go. These tax collectors, Matthew, for one, some of these guys were starting to realize, I need a doctor. I need someone to make me right for my sins. The Pharisees had the same need. They just couldn't see it. Jesus says, that's why I've come. Not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And I think it, it really bothered these Pharisees that they, they looked in and they saw Jesus and his disciples. I imagine having a good time. I imagine actually not just sitting there like I imagine them engaging the people at the table. This is Jesus. He, he got a reputation as being known a friend of sinners, and he did it with a, a joy. He didn't enter into the sin, but he loved these people. That really bugged the Pharisees, which leads to our third point. God with us. Jesus came to forgive our sins. The third point is he came to bring great joy. Joy for all the people. Listen to what Luke 2 said. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. What kind of joy did he come to bring? Great joy. There's a great man in the faith a couple centuries ago that said joy is one of the surest signs that you are one of Christ's disciples. Joy. Now watch the Pharisees in contrast to that idea. Verse 33. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray. That's John the Baptist. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. What are they doing? They're trying to first set up a rift between Jesus and John the Baptist. They're trying to cause trouble here. But, but they're saying, look, we all fast. We all fast. And you can know from other passages that when they did it, they went out of their way to let other people know how miserable they were. Because Jesus looked at them and said, when you fast, don't make your face disfigured. You know, take care of yourself so other people don't know. They, they would go out of their way to show just how serious and religious they were. <laughs> Look what Jesus says to them. They're like, we do it. Why don't you? We're, we're better than you. We're... We're more religious. Verse 34, he says, 
Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? What's he doing there? He's painting a picture of a wedding. He's saying, I'm the one that has come to be the husband to my people that's been promised to, to, to love them unconditionally. And I'm here. And you know what? You don't fast at a wedding. You party. And in that day, a wedding party lasted seven days. You know, we think we're doing pretty good if we're at a reception that goes till 3 a.m. Imagine a seven-day party. When Jesus says wedding, that's what they have in mind. And he's saying, you don't fast there. You, you celebrate. And one thing I want to tell you about Jesus, I don't know what kind of picture you have of Jesus. Like if you imagine him as this monotone guy all the time, except for when he's ticked off and cleansing the temple. That's not the picture we get in the New Testament. Luke chapter 10 says, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, full of joy, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. He was so excited that his disciples were starting to understand some stuff that he was filled with joy. What are you like when you're filled with joy? <laughs> Maybe loud? Just imagine, whatever, whatever you're like when you're filled with joy, maybe that's some of what Jesus looked like. John 15, 11, he says to his disciples, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus came to make us joyful, to be filled with this rock-bottom certainty that God loves me, I'm accepted with him in Jesus, and yeah, I may go through hard times, but I can live with joy. Some of us come to Jesus and we're kind of like C.S. Lewis. He, he told the, the story in his book, Surprised by Joy, that when Jesus was drawing him into salvation, he, was, he felt like he was being dragged in kicking and screaming because his, his, his imagination of what it's like to walk with Jesus, he said, I imagine it being like jumping into an icy cold stream. He said, when I jumped in, I found it to be delightful. There may be some of you in here in this room that feel that way. You say, man, I'm not coming to Jesus because he's going to ruin my life. He's going to take away everything fun that I want to do. He's going to give me all this other stuff that I got to do now in place of it. I ain't... But you could be like C.S. Lewis. You take the plunge and find out this river is delightful. This is meeting needs that can't be met anywhere else besides him. John 17, 13 Jesus was praying to his father at the end of his ministry. He said, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Jesus doesn't want us to be just a little joyful. He wants us to be filled with joy. Of all the people in the world, those who walk with Jesus ought to be the most joyful people. Warren Wearsby said, if you could talk to Jesus today, he might say it like this. Look. I came to make life a wedding feast, not a funeral. It's okay to have some joy. It is a rough world and there are times we need to weep and cry and, and go through stuff. But I came to bring you joy. So you look at those three realities that play out in Jesus' ministry and Jesus is going to go on to tell them something that ought to blow our minds. It, the, it, didn't sink in for some of the Pharisees listening, but it's great news. And the big idea here is that Jesus came to bring something altogether new. Altogether new. Listen to what he says. 
verse 36. Because he told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. Okay, Jesus is just speaking some common sense stuff in a story form here. You got an old shirt at home, and you go to Macy's, and you buy a $40 shirt, and your old shirt has a hole. Are you going to take that $40 shirt and, and cut a little square out of it so you can patch it on your old shirt? No, you've got a new shirt. Why would you're going to ruin your new shirt? And besides that, because that fabric's new, when it shrinks, it's going to pull away on the old garment and make it worse. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, I didn't come just to tinker with your system, Pharisees. I didn't come just to make it a little better, add one more fast, one more tithe, one more you name it. I didn't come just to tinker. I came to get, give you something new. See, maybe some of them hoped Jesus would come and put a few little patches on the existing system. They, they knew it wasn't perfect, but hey, let's just fix it a little bit. But Isaiah 64 says what our own patches are like. Verse 6, it says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. That's what our own patches are like. And you maybe have experienced that in your life. When you're going through your life and you're looking, this is broken. And you, and you try in your own power to fix it. How many times do we just make it worse? <laughs> and we find ourselves back banging our head against the same wall again and again and again. That's what our attempts are like. He says, I came to give you a whole new garment. Listen to this picture of a garment that God gives in Isaiah 61. Verse 10 says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. There's that joy again. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. Jesus is like, stop trying to fix up the old and tinker with it. I got something brand new for you to put on. Something brand new that's going to be made available. How is it available? 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin, Jesus to be a sin offering for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's the new garment. Jesus took our sin, died for it on the cross, rose again and says, look, here's my righteousness. Put this on. I took your sin upon myself so that you could have a garment of righteousness and be made right with God. He didn't come to tinker. He came to give us a brand new garment in himself. He goes on, no one pours new wine, verse 37, into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. We got a couple guys in our church that do some home brewing, and I talked to them this week about the processes that they use. And one of them told me how at the beginning is when it's especially vigorous. When, that, when you start that brewing process and you put the yeast in there, it's really expanding. And if you put that in a container that's too tight, or as Jesus said, it used to be an animal skin that was old and brittle, that expansion will break that thing, you'll lose the new wine, and it will all be for naught. That's what Jesus is saying here. He said, I didn't, you can't contain me in your system. 
You can't contain me in all these things that you've added even to God's old covenant law. You, you can't contain me in that. I'm bigger than that. I'm more explosive than that. This is going to go outside of Judaism and impact the entire world. You cannot fit me in there. Now, Jesus fulfilled that law. He lived it perfectly, and he died for all of our failure in it. But he says, you can't keep me in that. I'm something so much bigger, and I bring so much more freedom. What's he say? He says, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. Now watch this, verse 39. I believe he's talking about many of the Pharisees in that room. There's no one after drinking old wine, I believe that's their system, wants the new, for they say the old is better. Now normally that's true, right? If you know your wines, you'd rather have something from 1995 than from 2013. Right? The old normally is better, but you know what? Jesus did a miracle that shows when he shows up, that can all change. You remember John chapter 2? He's at a wedding, his first miracle. They run out of wine. He says to his disciples, fill up those jars with water. And he turns it into wine. And you remember what the master of the banquet said? As he tasted the water that had been turned into wine, he did not realize where it had come from. Imagine be like, where'd you get this stuff? Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Hey, uh, you got it backwards here. Everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. He's like, you're supposed to get the good stuff first. Let them get drunk. And then, <laughs> and then you bring out the cheap stuff. But he's like, what does he say then? Jesus knew wine. He says, you have saved the best till now. That shows us when Jesus shows up, he can make the new thing better than the old. And that's what he's saying. I've, I've come to bring you something so much bigger and better than everything you've been experiencing and trying. What are some of the, the features of this new gift that Jesus came to give? Ultimately, he is the gift, but there are some features to it. Like I, I think of it like this. I've got a 1998 Toyota Tacoma. It, right now it's got about 150,000 miles on it. I hope to drive that thing till it's got like 500,000. But one of the things that happens when you keep driving something is things get obsolete and out of date in it. Like I've got a, for, for the longest time I had a tape deck in there. And so as long as the tape deck worked, I would bring my, my phone or my iPod or my CD player initially, you know, and and use one of those cassette tape converters and listen to my music. Okay, well, the tape deck stopped working. It's broken. Okay, so, so this year, one of the advantages of having a birthday on December 5th and then Christmas is sometimes Carolyn says, hey, I'll get you one really nice combined gift. So she went out and she got me a Kenwood stereo that plays CDs. Uh, I can plug my phone in with a USB cord and it can play all my playlists and all that stuff. I love it. It opened up a whole new world of musical freedom. And if you know me, I like about every genre of music there is out there. It's like, wow, this is awesome. Why did I hold on to that old obsolete tape deck for so long? What did she not do? She didn't, she didn't come and say, hey, you know, I paid for somebody to come in and tinker with your tape deck and, and fix that up. It, it would have been a, a cheap substitute. It's so much better to have this new stereo. And that's what Jesus is saying to these guys. That's what he's saying to us. I, I got something so much better than what you've been trying. And I want to talk about the features 
that come with this gift. Like my stereo's got features. You know, I mentioned I could plug in my phone and I can listen to Pandora. I can listen to iHeartRadio. I can listen to iTunes. Here are some features of the new gift that, that Jesus comes to bring. But first I want you to hear why he brought it. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7. I don't have it here. If you want to listen or turn there, you're welcome to. It says, if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. He's like, if, if it had worked the old way, we wouldn't need a new one. But it says, God found fault with the people under the old covenant and said, the days are coming, declares the Lord. This is a quote in Hebrews of Jeremiah 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. By calling this covenant new, listen to this, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Like that first one's like your broken tape deck, Scott. You'd be a fool to go back and stick that back in your truck. <laughs> and yet these Pharisees were trying to do that exact thing. Now listen to how God describes this new covenant. Four features. And I'm going to need four volunteers. So I want you to think if you're uh, bold enough to come down here in just a moment. I'm going to let you open the, the presents that represent these four features and read them to all of us, okay? But in Hebrews 8 verse 9... He says this, this new covenant will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. And now I want to look at how he describes it in Hebrews 8, four features of this new gift that Jesus brings. So I need a vol four volunteers. Let's get them all up here one at a time. If you want to do it, just come on up. I need someone to open the first feature. This gift from Jesus. Thank you, Ariel. Ariel, if you guys don't know, she now lives in Wilhite. She was the first person that we know of through the ministry at the church next door that came to give her life to the Lord Jesus Christ and come to him. So it's a blessing to see her back today, and I appreciate you being bold. So what she's going to do is describe what the new covenant does in our relationship with God. One feature of it. I don't think so. I read them all, so I think you're okay. <laughs> Our relationship with God becomes... More I know God can than I know I can. Did you hear that? Thank you, Ariel. Let's give her a round of applause. Under the new covenant, our relationship with God becomes more... I know God can do it in me than I can do it on my own. That old covenant, when, when God gave it to him at Mount Sinai... You remember what they said? They said, we will do everything the Lord has commanded us. You remember how that went? You know your Old Testament? <laughs> Epic fail, some of our teenagers might say. In Hebrews 8 verse 10, when he quotes Jeremiah 31, he says, this is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time. That phrase, I will, as we go through this covenant, you're going to see God says, I will, six times. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. It's like you saying, I know you can't do it on your own. <laughs> I will do it in you. That's what the Holy Spirit's all about. Jesus in John 14 said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you 
and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Under the new covenant, God says, I'll do it in you because I know you can't. The cardinals are hurting right now, okay? I want you to imagine this scenario. All right, we're on our third string quarterback. We're in a pickle because we're, we've got a good enough record to get into the playoffs. Can, but can you imagine what they're thinking? Like, how are we going to do in the playoffs with a third string quarterback? So imagine this, all right? Carson Palmer, their first stringer, he's like, man, none of these backups that we have cut it. So I'm going to come to you, Jay. And I want you to be our quarterback in the playoffs. I'll give you my pads, my uniform, and all that, and, and you're going to be our man. Now, that would be exciting, right? But let, I don't know your skills, Jay, Jay, and this would apply for any of us in this room. How do you think you do in an NFL playoff game? <laughs> Lots of luck, right? But, <laughs> but if Carson Palmer comes in and says, not only will I give you my pads, my helmet, my uniform, my cleats, I will enter into you and you'll have my passing ability, my speed, my skills, my knowledge of the playbook, then all of a sudden, what? you got a real good chance of winning that game. That's what God says in the New Covenant. When we look at the commands that Jesus gives in the New Testament, He's not saying, hey, good luck with that. Go get it. He's like, I'll do it in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. I need somebody to open this second feature. Another bold soul. Bob Dorsey, thank you. Merry Christmas. The new covenant makes our relationship with God more I want to than I have to. You catch that? More I want to than I have to. That's what Hebrews 8 verse 10b says. It says, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. You remember where the first law was written? On stone. And it says God led them by the hand. Now we're talking about this law comes from the, what, what God wants us to do under the new covenant comes from the inside out. He, he writes the law of the Spirit on our hearts. Now I thought about this. Have you ever seen the kids at the mall on the leashes? <laughs> I see those leashes in the, in the mall, and I'm like, okay. Those kids on those leashes are only walking with mom and dad. Why? Because they have to. <laughs> it's forced on them. They're, they're, they're tied to mom and dad. And, and it's kind of an external following. Okay? Wouldn't it be so much more special if the kid wanted to be with mom and dad? And I know it's more realistic as they get older. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the leash. Isn't it more special, more meaningful for that kid to be walking side by side with mom and dad? having a conversation, talking about life, enjoying each other. It's more internal. And that's what the new covenant can bring. It's it's not so much I have to do these things out here. It's the Holy Spirit comes in us and and leads us into what God has for us in our lives. Third feature, there's two more. I need another bold volunteer. The feature that Jesus brings. Thank you, Gene. Merry Christmas. Relationship with God under the new covenant becomes the more I love my father than I don't want God to punish me. You hear that? More I love my father, thank you, Gene, than I don't want God to punish me. You remember at Mount Sinai, when Moses started talking to the people and, and God started doing some talking, the people ran to Moses and said, You be our representative. 
in modern language, we're freaking out here. We need you to go up there and talk to him and bring back what he says, okay? Now listen to what this new covenant says in Hebrews 8, verse 10b. God says, I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Do you hear the the personal relationship there? I will be their God. They will be my people. If you run around talking about my Johnny or my Susie to people, they're going to know, whoa, that Johnny or Susie's related to them somehow, like it's their son or their, their spouse or some. God says, I'll be their God and they'll be my people. It's personal. And when he says they'll know the Lord, that's not talking about just knowing some facts about who God is. It's the same word that was used in Genesis when it says that Adam knew Eve and she became pregnant. Okay, that's a little bit more than like Adam's like, yeah, that Eve girl, she's 5'11", and she's got brown hair. I've seen her around the garden. (laughs) We're talking about a personal kind of relational knowledge. That's the word that's used there. And under the new covenant, we're now offered that personal kind of knowing the Lord. And what the New Testament says is that in Christ, guess what? Perfect love casts out fear. It casts out fear. That doesn't mean we no longer have a healthy reverence for the fact that God disciplines his children and I want to obey him. He does that for our good. But it does mean that in Christ, I don't fear that he's going to eternally condemn me because of my sins because he took that upon himself. I've now got this love relationship with my father more than I don't want him to punish me. One more feature and we'll wrap up. The fourth feature. Laura, thank you. This is Ariel's mom. Thank you. Merry Christmas. She comes by all that stuff naturally. (laughs) (laughs) Under the new covenant, our relationship with God is... More I'm free than I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to earn God's favor. You catch that? It's realizing I'm free in Jesus Christ. And because he paid the price, I don't have to earn God's favor. He did it. I obey out of a gratitude now because he paid the price. This is shown in the words for forgiveness. Under the old covenant, when it talked about the sacrifices, you know what the word for forgiveness, the Hebrew word, translates as? Cover. It covered the sins. You know what the New Testament word for forgiveness is? What it means? It means to carry away. See, those Old Testament sacrifices could only cover the sins and God only honored that system for a time because it pointed to the Savior who would carry our sins away once for all. Word for forgiveness there is actually NASA. I don't think it's said like that, but it makes me think like, hey, you know what? I don't know if we'll ever see a shuttle go up again or not, you know, because of all that's going on in the space program. But if we do, when you see that thing lift off and disappear, what a great, great picture of our sins being taken away. Now, those guys come back, so that ruins the picture, but <laughs> you, you get the idea. It's the difference between covering and taking away our sins altogether. And as we close this morning, I just want to look at the big picture that we talked about and just ask you, are you enjoying the newness that Jesus brings? And I wonder as we look through those four things, 
Are you feeling the freedom and the, the close walk and the, just the ability because he's in you? Or have you been trying something of your own creation? Have you been trying the old way? And I just want you to know that the gift we talked about this morning is available to you. If you've already received that gift, I'd encourage you to ask yourself, are you walking in the freedom that comes with that? When we look at these four perks, are we enjoying them or are we trying to put the old tape deck back in? Because some of us, even as believers, we get into the have-tos more than the want-tos. And we get into the trying it on our own than trusting in Him. We get more into, i got to earn God's favor today than, than I'm free. I pray that the gift of Jesus Christ will be one that you either open for the first time this Christmas or begin to enjoy all over again. Father, thank you so much. I thank you that the birth was, was only the beginning of an earthly life that had one purpose, to seek and save what was lost. It was your driving purpose, Jesus, to take our sin upon yourself, to rise again victorious, so that we might have a personal relationship with your Father. Somebody later in the New Testament calls it an unspeakable gift. Like there's no words that can even begin to describe. I think about what Paul wrote. If he, if he gave us his son, what else is he gonna withhold from us? He, he gave his best already. You don't have to doubt your covenant love, Father, because you, you put it all on the table in your son. Father, I pray that we walk out of here enjoying the gift of your son, filled with joy in your son. And I want you guys to know if there's anyone here that would like to pray about anything, anyone here that says, I, I need that gift of the son. I've been messing around with the old tape deck for too long. I'll be in the back. I'd love to talk with you. Maybe this could be the first Christmas where you understand the true meaning for yourself. Father, I pray that we be a church that boldly spreads the message of the gift of Jesus Christ. I thank you that you kept your word, that he came to bring salvation to sinners like us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.